join me in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 4 this morning as we continue our series, Jehovah Unveiled. Our God is revealing himself to his people slowly, steadily through the book of Exodus. Our theme verse is Exodus 6, 6, and 7. I invite you to say it along with me. That isn't edited correctly, is it? You can pull up the right one, Robert. That's okay. It doesn't matter. That's still not it. That's okay. I will deliver you from slavery, is what God tells them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the month of July, we've been at the burning bush. It doesn't seem like we're still there, but we have been. Uh, That is exactly what's been going on. So Pastor Dan started us out at the beginning of chapter 3 as Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro and he sees this bush that is on fire but not being consumed. And remember what God told him through that bush. He says, be careful when you draw near. Take your sandals off because this is holy ground. And in that conversation through, throughout all of chapter 3 and now into chapter 4, this has all been one event. We haven't left the burning bush yet. God and Moses have been, uh, have been conversing, which I don't know about you, if that were me, if that were me finding this bush that's not being consumed and then the voice of God speaking to me, I would be terrified, wouldn't you? Isn't that the correct response? Isn't that the response we see in Scripture? Isaiah chapter 6, when, when, he has the, when Isaiah has this vision of seeing the throne room of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, and, and these angels flying around, proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And how does Isaiah, the prophet of God, how does Isaiah respond? goes, woe is me, I am undone. He was wrecked, is how we'd say it today. That's the correct response with an encounter with God. In today's passage, we have, um, we have Moses talking with God, and, uh, and we've got actually some, some more back and forth that um, doesn't leave Moses looking in a good light, does it? So I invite you to follow along with me, if you would. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 7, or verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered... Nope, that's not it. Yeah, it is. Then Moses answered... I'm sorry. I, I will be here in just a minute. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, because that's what he would do. Verse 4. 
But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and that water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Lord, your word is powerful. So often we treat it as just a text, words to be read, an item to be checked off of our list of things to do in order to be right with you. Lord, your word is powerful. Help us to not miss your point in this passage today. Father, wound us with your word if that's what it takes. Father, convict us, for we all fall short. And Father, show us grace that we might receive mercy and grace to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me ask you a dumb question. I'm good at dumb questions. Have you ever been tasked with doing something that you don't want to do? How many of you have already had that today? (laughs) My children, at least some of them could attest, I don't want to put my shoes on. (laughs) Just being an adult is doing tasks that we're supposed to do whether we want to or not, whether we like it or not, whether it's comfortable or easy or in our skill set or not. The scriptures were not given so that we could just be good adults, good citizens of the world. The scriptures were given so that we would be like Jesus. 
so that we would be holy, fully surrendered to him. Jesus expressed apprehension at doing something he didn't really want to do, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't want to be crucified. He didn't want to be separated from the Father in that moment. He did not want the wrath of God poured out on him. And so he prayed, Father, if, if there's any way, if this cup could pass from me. But what are the very next words? But not my will, your will be done, right? And then right after that, Jesus gets up, taking more steps closer to the cross. Here's how the, the writer of the book of Hebrews records it for us. Hebrews 12 Two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus obeyed the Father, not out of a begrudging obligation, but for joy. The joy of Obeying the Father. The joy of seeing many souls saved. The work that God is doing in Moses in today's passage is to move him past his objections. And we've already seen some objections that he's given earlier in chapter 3. We've got more today. He has logical reasonable objections. And God is going to move him past that so that he becomes willing to be the serving, to, to serve God as the leader of Israel. Now, all of Moses' objections are actually logical and reasonable, aren't they? And that's the problem. It's our problem too. We so easily come up with reasons why we will not serve God the way we should. Why we will not fill in the blank. We are too quick to reason. Quick to turn to logic and calculations and far too slow to actually obey the clear commands, the clear leading of God. So our big idea this morning is God wants us to trust his leading over our logic. He wants us to trust his leading over our logic. Now, is that to say that God's leading is illogical? No. But oftentimes our logic is illogical. To God. Why? Well, because God is God, right? The first excuse Moses gives is that he is unqualified. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now, this sounds a lot like Moses' objection back in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Do you remember that? That was 
a couple weeks ago. Who am I? Why would they believe me? And that stems from the last time he had been in Egypt. Remember, he had helped an Israelite slave that was being beaten by his slave master, and he ends up killing, uh, Moses ends up killing the slave master and burying the body. The next day, he tries to help two uh, slaves who are fighting against each other, and they're like, who are you? We know what you did yesterday. You killed that other guy. Are you going to kill us too? And so Moses flees. He knows he has no good reputation among the Israel, Israelites. He knows he is a, a dead man walking according to the palace. Pharaoh doesn't want him anymore. He's known as being a murderer. He has abandoned the palace. A couple verses later in chapter 3, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they, if I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? These first two excuses, who am I, I don't have a standing, and, and who are you, those are actually good, good questions to ask, aren't they? But there's a distinct difference between his objections in chapter 3 that we've already looked at and the objections we have today in chapter 4. In chapter 3, they were soft objections. They They were legitimate questions that Moses needed to know. He asked, who am I? Why would anyone listen to me? What authority do I have? And his second question was just as good. How should I answer the people when they ask, well, who sent you? But now, now Moses is not only objecting to God's command, and let's be clear, God is commanding him to speak to the elders of Israel and to Pharaoh. He's not asking, he's not saying, well, this would be a good idea. Moses is being commanded. Not only is Moses objecting to God's command, he is blatantly rejecting what God has just told him. Back up to chapter 3, verse 18, God says, and they will listen to your voice. Right? God's command was, go to the elders of Israel, speak to them, and they will listen. When you go to Pharaoh, he's not going to listen. But the elders of Israel, the Israelites, they are going to believe you, they are going to listen. That's what we looked at last week. God commanded Moses to speak of God and to speak of the good news, both to the elders of Israel and to Pharaoh. God told Moses to expect Israel to accept the message and to expect Pharaoh to reject it. And then God told Moses to trust him, trust him that he would provide and that they would leave the land of Egypt with all the wealth of Egypt. God has told Moses quite clearly they will listen, and yet Moses responds, but they will not believe or listen to my voice. Moses has directly opposed God's statement, and how does God respond? God responds with grace, doesn't he? Instead of saying, Moses, what did I just tell you? He says, you know, if these people won't listen to you, here's some signs that you can do. And he told him what to do. And not only did he tell him, God actually demonstrates for Moses, by having him do this, at least the first two signs right then and there. In Scripture, supernatural signs are always for the purpose of confirming the authority of the message being given. 
By the way, that's, that's important for us to know. There are people who would claim to do signs and wonders of the Lord today, but those signs and wonders aren't confirming their message. They're actually contradicting the message of Scripture oftentimes. So this supernatural signs, these supernatural signs that God is giving Moses is to, to confirm the authority of the message. And actually, it's working on Moses also because as Moses throws that staff down and it becomes a serpent and then picks it up and it becomes a staff again, it confirms to him that this voice from the burning bush is indeed God. Right? The first sign is that serpent. God tells him, throw down the serpent, it turns in, or throw down the staff, it turns into a serpent. And then God tells him to do something completely contrary to what we would do. Moses' reaction that we read in scripture is absolutely what we ought to do, right? Get away from the snake. God says, pick up the snake by the tail. If you want to get bit, go ahead and pick up a snake by the tail. So in this moment, Moses actually trusts God and obeys him and does exactly what God says. Grabs it by the tail and it becomes his staff again. Moses has been a shepherd in the desert for 40 years now. He's no doubt come across snakes many times. He knows how to handle a snake and yet God, in telling him to do something different, Moses shows that he believes God and God shows that he's trustable. God's not doing this to hurt Moses, right? So Moses does as God says, picks up the serpent, becomes a staff. The second sign is leprosy. In the ancient world, the term leprosy was kind of an umbrella term uh, for many, many different kinds of skin diseases, much like we use the term cancer as a uh, an umbrella term for all sorts of kinds of cancer. So uh, when, uh, if you look up what leprosy is and you go, well, this isn't exactly what is described here in Scripture, that's because the term doesn't necessarily mean Hansen's disease as we call it today, but that he had a serious skin disease. So whatever the serious disease was, it was terrifying because he stuck his hand into his coat, pulled it out, and it was white. Diseased terrifying. I don't know about you, that would really freak me out. Taking a staff, turning it into a snake, and then turning it back into a staff, that's fine, that's great, that's a neat trick. But giving me a disease, it's a little too close to home, right? But like the serpent, the sign was complete when it was also undone. So he sticks his hand back into his coat, comes out normal. The third, the third sign that God gives him is not one that's demonstrated for one reason. They're not by the Nile. Okay. Uh, but this is one that God gives him as a, a third option. So should they not believe after the first two, do this one and that should be enough. Take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground and it will be blood. So the first sign turning a staff into a serpent was sort of ambiguously representative of Pharaoh. Serpents were a power, power symbol in Egypt at that time. In fact, if you uh, look through uh, various archaeological pictures in Egypt, you'll find all sorts of representations of snakes and pharaohs together because it was a sign of power. 
The second sign was going to hit a little closer to home, turning Pharaoh's hand into a nasty disease. But this third sign was a clear association, a clear link attacking the gods of Egypt. The second one was, was more so because Pharaoh was considered a god. But this third one, taking the Nile, some water from the Nile and turning it to the blood, that was a direct attack on the gods of Egypt and God knew that. The Nile was the de facto source of life in Egypt. There was never enough rain. In fact, all the population centers were right along the Nile because if you weren't close enough to, to the Nile for it to flood and uh, irrigate your crops or at least or some other way get a canal to your fields, you were not growing anything. The Nile was the source of life and they worshipped it as such. They gave it the name Hapi, the God of life. So no matter who Moses might be performing this sign to, it fits. If he's performing this sign for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, it was a gross and blasphemous insult to their God, Hapi. And if he was performing this for Israelites, for the elders of Israel, it was a grand confirmation of the superiority of Jehovah over the gods of Egypt. This third sign was a win-win for Moses. So Moses has objected. They're not going to listen to me. I'm not really qualified to do this. Why would they listen to me? So God responds with grace. Here are some signs to prove that I have sent you. Next in verses 10 through 12, he says, I'm unable. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, which by the way has only been moments, right? This is all still one conversation with God. I am slow of speech and tongue. Verse 11, And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In chapter 4, Moses' first excuse was, they won't listen. And now his second excuse is, well, it's not that they won't listen to me when I speak, it's just I can't speak. Another way to understand verse 10 is like this, Lord, I'm not witty, I'm not quick on my feet to answer the people. In fact, um, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It was done uh, long before Christ was born. That translation of the Old Testament scripture says that Moses had a speech impediment. And perhaps that's what he meant in saying that I am unable to speak. That may be the case. Maybe he did have a stutter or a stammer. But translations are not inspired. None of them are. The translations that you have in front of you aren't inspired. Only the original is inspired. Well, we trust that God has preserved his word. So he maybe had a speech impediment. He may not have. But what we have as a clear understanding of Moses and his capacity is actually given to us in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Luke is writing uh, and he is 
quoting Stephen from his sermon. And in Acts 7.22, we read this, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. So Luke, writing Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts, does not really refute that the Septuagint, the Greek translation that says that uh, Moses had a physical difficulty with speech. Uh, but Stephen's statement is clear. Moses was mighty in words. Which is it? Moses saying, oh, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I can't possibly do this. Or is he mighty in words? We will see as we continue through Exodus that Stephen's words in the book of Acts are accurate. That Moses was indeed mighty in words. So he's making an excuse right here, isn't he? He's not being honest, not completely And yet, in response, God shows more grace. Who has made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? I will help you speak. By the way, God has never and will never ask you to do something that you, while trusting God, cannot do. Now, all that phrase was important. He'll ask you to do things you can't do all the time. But he will not ask you to do something that you, trusting him, cannot do. Right. Why? Because he wants to show himself powerful in you. Oh, I can't share the gospel with my neighbor. I will say the wrong thing. No, you won't. If you have the Spirit of God in you, if you have a testimony... Share what you have and the Spirit will, will fill in the blanks. He, he will. So you take a verse out of context. God will still use it. Why? Because you're submitting to him, being obedient to speak. God always enables you to obey his leading. Always. And yet every one of us believers has been guilty of cowering away from what God wants us to do. If you disagree with that statement and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to ask God to remove the blinders from your eyes. verses 13 through 17, after telling God, oh, I'm not qualified, I can't do it. They won't listen to me when I speak. And then saying, well, actually, I can't speak. He finally speaks his mind. Moses finally speaks his mind. He says, I don't want to. The rubber has finally hit the road, hasn't it? This is actually what Moses has been thinking the entire time. Please send someone else. Please don't make me do this. The scripture says that this kindled the anger of God. God has been very kind in his responses to Moses this entire time. 
And to be fair, he's kind here too. But now he's angry and Moses knows it. We don't know how God expressed his anger to Moses. Did, did the flame flare up? Did the smoke get darker? Did the voice from the flame become louder and more intense? We don't know. However, the Lord expressed his anger. It landed. Moses knew that God was angry. But what happens next is not an angry response. Think about it. When God is angry, people die. Right? Read the Old Testament. Sometimes thousands upon thousands because God is angry at the rebellion of his people. God could have very well just killed Moses in this moment, been right and just to do so, but he doesn't. Read the rest of the passage. God gives Moses a helper. He says, please send someone else. No, I'm not going to send someone else, but your brother can go with you. God gives Aaron as his helper. God is going to speak to Moses. Moses is still going to be the leader. And Moses is going to tell Aaron. That's what he means when he tells Moses that that he will be as God to Aaron. So as God speaks to Moses, Moses speaks the words of God to Aaron. What we see from God is not actually an angry response, but a gracious response. So he establishes Moses and Aaron as a team. Now, if you read ahead, who actually does the speaking? It's still Moses, right? So God, in his grace, is giving him a crutch, so to speak. He's giving him that, that, one, that one ally, that one companion, that one teammate to go with him every time he goes and speaks to the people of Israel or speaks to Pharaoh. God shows his grace. God wants us to trust his leading. He wants us to make sure that what he tells us to do is something that he's going to enable us to do. He always makes sure of that. But he wants our heart. He wants us to trust his leading. Every one of us has been guilty of following our own reasoning over God's word, every one of us. The problem is, so many times it seems like we are giving sound, logical reasons for why we will not give or serve or witness or take time to be with the Lord every day. I hear church people make logical excuses for why they they cannot serve God in teaching or in helping I hear deacons and teachers and other pastors, people who are otherwise more invested in the church than the average churchgoer, make the same sinful excuses, and I do it too. What it takes is the word of God being buried so deep in our heart that when we start to make those excuses, we recognize them and surrender to God. 
It's not our family situation that is preventing us from being what we should be to the Lord. It's not our job or our finances that keep us from serving. It's not that we don't have ability because God doesn't ask us to do things that with him we can't do. The real problem is the problem that Moses had. Moses didn't trust the Lord. He didn't trust God to handle the situation. He didn't trust God to help him speak. Frankly, he didn't trust God that he would survive an encounter with Pharaoh. Our problem is also that we don't trust God to help us handle our situation while serving him. I mentioned last week that this week's sermon will probably hurt. It had been hurting me as I was studying for it. I trust that these wounds from the word will actually prompt you to live for him. Use today to be a day of introspection, to genuinely analyze your thoughts and motives as to why you do or don't do for the Lord. What would this church look like if we were all surrendered disciple makers? The little squabbles that come up from time to time, they'd be fewer. The joy of the Lord, the joy of seeing someone be saved and grow in the Lord would fill each of our hearts. Use today as a day of introspection. Use the scripture as that lens to show your own thoughts and motives. Let it be a day of confession. And because God is God, let it be a day of grace as he restores you, as you genuinely look at your life and go, you know, there's a way that I've been disobeying the Lord and I need to obey him. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's amazing that you save any one of us. It's absolutely mind-blowing that that you would look at any of us and not just be done with us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that that you have called each one of us to, to live for you. You've called us to be holy. And in some ways, it it is difficult. It is genuinely difficult. But in other ways, we live lives that aren't holy because we simply don't want to be holy. Father, you've called us to speak the truth. We have been called to speak the truth in love, to speak of you and how great you are, your amazing attributes being the God of eternity, who by the power of your word created all that is. We're to speak of your good news, that though we are a fallen people, though we are uh, corrupt in very nature, that 
in spite of all the reasons that you could have come up with to not save us, you instead sent Jesus. That while we were still sinners, you sent him to die for us. We're to tell people about you and the good news. And your word tells us that some will respond in faith. And yet, Father, we come up with excuses all the time as to why we can't tell our neighbor or our coworker or our friends about Christ. Forgive us. Use today as a turning point in our lives. Use your word as that constant reminder that, that we don't deserve the grace we've been given. And yet we were so freely given it, why would we not share it with others? So Lord, I ask that today, today you would change lives, change hearts. Thank you for the way that your word has worked in my life. I pray that as you work in our lives, we will see you to continue growing us, growing us more mature in Christ, helping us to make choices and decisions in our families and as a church that reflect your priorities, not ours, that reflect your reasoning, not ours. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.